So where we left off the last time was we were starting to uh, snake through the the bands and the musicians, the songs and the stuff that had kind of pushed us to where we are today, I believe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. That's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you next week. <laughs> we talked a lot about what uh, what music inspired you initially and what gave you some of the first ideas you had to actually get involved in music. But why guitar? Why did you... Uh, and I know that's most kids who are into rock and roll, that's probably almost everybody starts with guitar, I think. Yeah. Not everybody, but... Yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of them are drawn to drums. Uh, those are the ones that you kind of want to watch out for. You know, you want to see their picture in post offices and that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's drums or guitar. I'm sure that's the broadest, you know, the biggest probably. group. Um, however, guitar for me was... Was uh, I to this day, I still think guitar is one of the most beautiful instruments to look at, and it's portable and it's uh, it's it's uh, I mean portable in in that you can you know throw it over your head, you can just jump around with it, and it's it's, it's kind of cool like that. Uh, and the guitars that st- still to my to to, to today, the Les the the Gibson Les Paul is one of the best looking guitars I've ever seen. Yeah. I can't, you know, and, uh, um, I have many, many, many guitars now. And, um, I still, I just, for some reason, that's just the, the sexiest guitar I've ever seen is the Gibson Les Paul. And now I have, I have many that I, that I think are really pretty and are really easy to play. And my Explorer, uh, which is, a, if you're not familiar with the Gibson Explorer, it's a it's a kind of star shaped guitar, and um, it's uh, it's extremely heavy. It's made of mahogany, so it, it weighs it weighs a lot, and it's uh, it's um, and also you, I'm, I'm I'm tall as well, so it looks it, it looks a lot of the guitars look kind of silly because they they look like you're playing a banjo, and um, so. So yeah, so the guitar was—I was drawn to the guitar. It just look, it looked really, really good. And I—I I, I, thought—I always thought the Strat and the, the Fender Strat and the Tele looked looked very uh, country or old man looking, you know, kind of guitar. And yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, so so the guitar. And of course, the acoustic guitar is is uh, always always will be aligned with folk and you know more, more mellow, uh, more, more mellow musical genre you know that's all that's what i always associated it with did you did you have an acoustic guitar at all when you were um, kid? i i yes i had a uh, early early on i got a guitar and our, we had some family over and somebody jumped on it and that was the last of it <laughs> so i never i never really got a chance to even you know mess what was around the first, with it we mentioned the, the first guitar you owned in uh in dublin i mean yeah when you were living in ireland i'm trying to remember what it was what brand it was it was a it was an audition it audition. was a it's a kind of a, a strat body, and um, it was a, it's a sunburst color with a kind of tortoise shell pickup uh, pick guard, and uh, I never really heard it through anything better than a you know a very very cheap you know uh, fifteen watt amp. Yeah. So it, I, I was never really sure what it, but it played great because I, I I adjusted the action myself, really? which which means you take the you take the strings and you put them closer towards the towards the neck on the guitar. So if, if you're playing slide guitar, you want it kind of high off the guitar. So, it, so you don't get the vibration. You don't get the noise uh, scraping off the, the strings, scraping off the neck. So I, I used to tinker with the, the, 
setup of the guitar myself and kind of have it to exactly where I want. But again, I'd never taken lessons. So I tuned it to whatever, to whatever I thought I wanted it to sound really? like. Yeah. So, was, yeah. I remember that was a challenge for me too. When I was first learning guitar that I, I not only did I not know how to string it, but I didn't know how to tune it either. And I had to get a, a friend of mine, uh, uh, introduced me to uh, uh, a classical guitar player at my high school who who taught me how to tune like it was out in the parking lot at school one day and she, she actually restrung I had broken a string and I didn't know how to restring it this, this was a, a a classical acoustic with nylon strings, nylon strings and, yeah. and those are yeah I don't know if, if, if you don't know they're I don't know why they're still a pain in the butt <laughs> to restring it seems like there'd be an easier way to do it now but you have to tie this really complicated knot down at the bottom of the bridge Whereas with seal strings, you just loop it through. It's uh, a lot easier. So when when, uh, when you first picked up guitar, and I know it took a while before you actually started taking it seriously, but were there who who were you looking up to? And I, I can probably guess, but who 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 were the guitarists you were like, man, I'm, I'm going to learn this stuff too, or I'm going to sit down and try to figure out how he's doing this, or um, that type of thing. You know, I, I I guess I wanted to play guitar, and I had one. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't put any time into it. I mean, like I didn't learn, you know, I could make it when I, when I borrowed an amp or when I had a crappy little amp, um, I, I, I could make sounds and I could, I could play along with records and make the notes disappear into this, into the sound that was coming off the, the records I was listening to. So, but I, I, and I, and I just wanted to play fast. I just wanted to play a lot of notes really, really fast. I still do. <laughs> I still, I still can't do it. But um, uh, but the I didn't realize at the time that that what what I was listening for. But I knew I knew the the stuff that the stuff that hit me would be um. And to this day, probably my favorite guitar player of all time is Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits, which doesn't make any sense when 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 you listen to what I started listening to. You know where I started um. Uh, getting into guitar, but what what I what I what I didn't know then was I was listening to the phrases that he would play on the guitar were as melodic as the songs that he was putting out. Yeah, and his guitar solos were always you never heard a bad tone, and I didn't know what tone was, but I knew what I liked. So uh, so, um, but then the 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 first time I came back from a concert was uh, Gary Moore at the SFX in Dublin. Uh, we went to see Gary Moore and Mama's Boys opened for them. Uh, uh, a trio uh, from Fermanagh. Uh, Pat McManus is still touring to this day, but there was uh, the, the Mama's Boys. They were, they were um, kind of a, kind of a metal, a wannabe metal thing, but more hard rock, but they, they did a lot of the Thin Lizzy style guitar you know celtic guitar rock sounding stuff so so they opened up and and pat mcmanus also played the fiddle so there was there was a little bit of the 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 diddly diddle dum in the middle of the rock which was which was great but um gary moore he's he's a belfast born guitarist and he also played with thin lizzy and he's played with skid row he played with but he, he had his big or his excuse me his biggest work was done you know uh towards the end of his life and um but Gary Moore was that. That's that's when I said, "All right, that guy can do." Because he he was he was not only a heavy rock guitar player with good tone, 
not great lyrics, but good, great, um, just his phrasing and his speed and his just the the way that he he uh, it didn't matter if he's playing Les Paul or Strat or whatever he's or one of his uh, Hamer guitars he just absolutely murdered it every every single time so that's when I came home and said well if I want to do it yeah I got to be really I mean that's that's how I want to do it that's yeah it's it's fitting that you mentioned Mark Knopfler obviously that's kind of an I mean knowing each other, that was a really obvious name to bring up. But I, I remember when I first saw you play lead guitar, it was at, um, and we'd only known each other maybe a month or something at this point. And you were playing down at what was still called Slancha on Main Street. It's now Molly's Pub downtown. And you were doing a, a I forget what the event was, but you were doing an all you 2 night. And Scott Washburn was playing drums with you for some reason that night instead of Russell. And uh, I think it was just the three of you. Uh, Tom Jenkins? Yeah. 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 So you're playing a lot of leads that night that you normally didn't play at all back in those days. Yeah. And I, I remember talking to you after the first, on the first break, it was like, man, I detect a little Mark Knopfler in there. And you're like, oh, shut up. Get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, but that yeah, that that night I think you did almost entirely you too. It think, was, it, but yeah. it, it was supposed to be, and I don't, I don't recall. It was somebody at Slauncher. I mean, it must have been uh, management. They 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 had seen you uh, two cover band, and they had done you know they had done some homework on, and actually they 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 got a lot of people. They got some you know the people came from far around to see a a U two, and there was well this wasn't even a U two because it was just again it was kind of like my my version of these U two songs because I have no intention of learning Ryan how to how to work with a delay pedal or you know right <laughs> you know yeah to, to do any of that tune down a half step and all that stuff yeah so so it was just it was just very 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 heavy versions of these very very silly songs and um not not all I mean again just we 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 picked the we picked the ones that would kind of you know you could put a little bit of a a bit of a groove or, you know, a little bit of a, a bit of meat and potatoes on versus so, so some of these songs. Uh, I think, I think um, Bono writes incredible lyrics and uh, the edge is, you know, he's a good guitar player. Uh, not definitely not my style, not my, what, what, what I'd listen to. Um, however, I, I, the, 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 the electronics and the, 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 you know his mastery of delay and tone and you know all that kind of stuff. That's that's phenomenal. It's just not what I like. I don't right. like. Um, yeah, he almost like turns it into a different instrument. Exactly. I like it's well put. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I remember you. Uh, one of the things I remember from that uh, that night is you did uh, God Part Two off of yes. Idol and Hum, which is actually I still like that song. And that was Bono's uh, tribute to John Lennon, and uh, on the track. Edge doesn't really do guitar solos per se. He does kind of textures and stuff. And this one, he just had it was a slide part, so he just he's just playing slide chords. Da 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 da. da. And that's all. So it, it works. It's catchy in the song. But you instead, like you're saying, because you didn't want to learn every little, you know, you didn't want to pick up slide guitar yeah. and do the open tuning and whatever it was yeah. he had on that. So you you just turned it back into a regular blues song. And that's where you're doing all these these cool leads and stuff. And I remember that's probably the song I thought. There's a little mark in there. I can hear it. So we were we were guitar and bassing, and uh, yeah. So uh, uh, you moved to bass. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that you played bass, but your your transition from Elemental Penguin change, you know, guitar player to bass playing. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of uh, it's just incidental. 
first I just wanted to play acoustic guitar like David Byrne. That was really all I wanted to do early on. I didn't have any aspirations to be a lead guitar player. But, I, you know, I mentioned the Stop Making Sense movie. I was just enamored with the, the whole film, but especially the beginning where he comes out by himself with his acoustic guitar. But it sounds fantastic. And, of course, I learned later that a lot of the stuff was overdubbed in the studio. But I do think they, that acoustic was live. So I, I've long wanted to figure out how, how to get that, that, that acoustic sound live. That's one of the reasons why I don't really like doing solo acoustic shows is I've never had a guitar sound that I liked. Um, you know, just talking about bass, uh, it was years later when in my early twenties and I'd already, this is after the change broke up my first band out of high school and where I played rhythm guitar and my friend Paul, who was my friend from high school and he and I started learning guitar roughly around the same time. And the only difference was that Paul hadn't gone on to be in bands and stuff. He was mainly just writing stuff by himself at home, but he was writing some great stuff. And he was going through this period, really productive period, where he was recording uh, a bunch of stuff at home on his four track and uh, occasionally having me come over to sing vocals on him. And uh, one day I came over there and his roommate at the time, who was also a friend of, mutual friend of ours who played bass, um, had been laying down some bass tracks and a few things. And his Fender P bass was lying there. He wasn't there. And, uh, and Paul mentioned to me, it's not... It's not not going so well like there's one song where he you know he couldn't this other guy couldn't figure out what to play on it and he played me the track and and like he could hear the bass just kind of meandering like having no idea what to do it was paul wrote at the time some really complex there, there were some really interesting syncopations and and odd time signatures and things like that and i, and I listened to it again oh no 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 this is what you need to do and i picked up the bass and played <laughs> played what i just what i heard and to me it was just like that's the part. <laughs> what else would you play there? And Paul was like, that, that's it. You're going to play the bass on this. Like, oh, oh, okay. And it just kind of went from there. I just, you know, this feels kind of good. And, uh, and so the, the, the idea came out of that for Paul and I to, to start a band where he's, he's was playing guitar and I'm playing bass. And we did that. We worked on that for a long time. Um, but eventually fell apart, but I still had this, this, I was really falling in love with this instrument. And, and, uh, it just felt, Paul told me too, he said, I think bass might be your intended instrument. That might be your, where you're supposed to be. Like, so that was, that was after that project fell apart. And I, I, Paul and I lived in New York at the time we were trying to do that. And I came back and I, I still wanted to play bass, but I also wanted to do my own stuff. But it was like this kind of push and pull between going, because I knew if I played bass, I, I wasn't going to be doing my original things. I needed, wanted to join a band. I really wanted to do that. Find somebody that, that I could play with as the bass player. And, um, and, you know, fast forward a couple of years and Scott Washburn introduced me to Patrick. And so, and I learned very quickly, there's a big difference between playing bass, you know, alone in your bedroom or just with one other guitar player. When you're playing with a whole band on stage and you're having to listen to everything, you know, the drums and the guitar and lead singer and, and then, you know, sing at the same time you're playing bass and stuff. It's, it's, it's a whole different ball game. Um, you, cause then I've told, I tell many people who come up and ask me, you know, what, what do you, what's your advice on playing bass? And like, you know, I, in my opinion, I don't really think you're a real musician until you play with other people. Um, so a lot of the bass player that I am now, uh, I, 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 I tell people many times, I don't really think I started playing bass for real <laughs> until I joined this band. 
that's when I was kind of thrown in the fire and having, having to learn yeah. on the fly, like, Oh, <laughs> a lot of what I'd already taught myself was wrong. I had to really kind of start over, Yeah, you know, just from everything from my technique, where my fingers were to, uh, you know, making sure I'm not rushing the beat, which was a big problem for me for the first few years I was playing. Um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, but I love it. So it's, it's kind of funny that it was just a complete accident really that I wound up playing it, but it was like, it just kind of made sense. And then as far as bass players that you look to now, mm-hmm. again, um, when I was playing with Paul back, you know, back then my, I was trying to emulate Paul McCartney a lot. Um, naturally. So it was Beatles being one of my biggest influences. Um, Tony Levin was a big hero of mine too, is who's, pretty much every single Peter Gabriel album. He also played on John Lennon's last solo record. But um, again, the, the bass players that I emulate now as, as a blackguard are completely different from the people I listened to growing up. Um, I, and I think the two players who probably had the biggest influence in me as a member of this band are probably Geezer Butler and, uh, and also going back to Tina Weymouth and Talking Heads. Who might, it's funny that I never really thought about her as an influence when I was first learning, which seems silly because I was a huge Talking Heads fan, still am. But she has a really simple, um, I don't want to say simple, but very in the pocket, very, very melodic and uh, uncomplicated, I think. You know, she's not a flashy player, but she's also very prominent. So I think that sometimes that figures into what I do. And there's a little touch of Steve Harris in some of the things that I play. So yeah, there's, there's a little bit more metal in my influences now, which is kind of funny because I never listened to that stuff growing up. But I had to add to, that's one of the things I was saying earlier is you have to, what you play, you've got to make sure you're complimenting the people you're playing with. And so uh, Geezer, I think really is probably the biggest, because I, I really loved when I first started listening to Black Sabbath, um, it was you were introducing it to me. Because I knew about them, but I never really got into it much. Kind of similar to Iron Man. And uh, I really love that stuff. And I think one of my, my, the reason, one of the ways yeah, I got, I, my, my, my door into Iron Maiden was early Genesis and my door into Black Sabbath, uh, early Black Sabbath stuff was, uh, the early Bowie, uh, period, the stuff off of, uh, Man Who Sold the World, which was sort of like his metal album. Geezer just had such a, a really fun, heavy, just very prominent style, but also very complimentary. And, uh, and I think one of the reasons why is that, uh, uh, Iomi, basically taught geezer how to play tony yeah yeah tony sorry tony yeah he yeah the, so their parts were very organic i mean they they were meant to, to be played together yeah know? exactly he yeah he 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 was a guitar player um at geezer was a guitar player so mm-hmm. he didn't know he didn't know what the bass did so he just kind of followed yeah. tony and that's how that was born. Yeah, but again uh, you know another one of those wonderful mistakes happy yeah. accidents whatever there's called. a lot of bass players who wound up i mean paul mccartney himself never wanted to play bass. He wound up getting stuck with it because their bass player quit yeah. and nobody else wanted to play it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this was kind of a similar story with me, but not exactly the same, but um, I couldn't have predicted it. You know, it's funny. I mean, looking back, I kind of wish that I had clued into it earlier. You know, there would have been some different band. I would have played, I would have had more gigs, <laughs> frankly, yeah. and I yeah. learned bass earlier. Yeah. Yeah, bass is is definitely. I I played bass for a few shows in different lineups and um, and uh, loved it. I still love it. It, it, It's just it's a fantastic instrument, and it's such a such a huge part of you know any good rock band. Um. uh, 
it, it doesn't, it, it, you know, I, my, my favorite thing is, you know, when you're, you know, talking to people and they go, well, you know, I, I don't, I never played before, but I'll just pick up bass because it's only got four strings. I go, well, you're in for a, you're in for a, you know, a terrible Kiss career, you know, or a, you know, Kiss cover band career if you're if that's your if if that's your your approach because mm-hmm. uh, there's just so much there's so much that it's you know if your if your drummer is this is and again this is just my take but if if your drummer is you know mediocre to to bad you know your 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 band's awful end of story. If you're, if you're a bass player, you know, is, you know, is because the rhythm section is your drums and your bass. And, you know, if those guys aren't in sync, if those guys aren't playing together, you know, your band's terrible. You yeah. need to, you yeah. know, just every, just pack up. There's no point. Yeah. That was one of the things too, that was, uh, I don't really think my playing really kind of gelled until our lineup, you know, stabilized because yeah. we went through a lot of drummers in the early yeah. days. So uh, yeah, we've gone. Yeah, it was a little awkward for me in the first first several years of the band. Yeah, we uh, we, we we took a lot of detours because it, it's it's uh, you know being in a band is a it's a huge commitment and following the same you know the 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 same path is a huge commitment and it's a lot to carry for people that want to get into this that that that, that want to get into this this life you know get into this you know you want to make a living doing it. You know, it's, it's a, it's a huge road and it's, it's a heavy, 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 you know, disciplined road. And, you know, musicians typically aren't, aren't uh, <laughs> disciplined and they're typically not into commitment and they're not into, you know, practice and just all the stuff that makes a good band. But it's, uh, it's, yeah, it, it looks fun and it better look fun, but it's not, uh, it's, it, it you know it it takes a lot of work and it mm-hmm. makes it it makes it so much more work when you got a when you got a um, a four piece band and two of them aren't into it or you know right you know yeah just it, it it's it's just way too much so so I I know that I know we 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 spoke a lot about Mark Knopfler and um other other guitar players too that have that still to this day uh, I, I don't want to play like but just like like Eddie Van Halen I, I think is. Uh, I, I think just because of the, the the band that they were in, the band that they formed together, I think his playing is so fun. It's just so his technique is just so completely off the wall, you know, just just different than anything I'd ever heard. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you can't you can't have a you can't have just a shredder in that band. It has to be a, a party. You know, every time the guitar goes, yeah. You know, so you so you got somebody in there that's just got to make you you, you got to make this atmosphere. You got to create this atmosphere on your guitar, yeah. And luckily, that guy is just one of the one of the one of the greatest innovators. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, in, in, in you know, he, yeah, he's one of those guys. Like, <laughs> it's it's amazing to think that this was after Hendrix. You know, and Hendrix blew people's minds when he came on the scene, uh, whenever that was, the late sixties. And then you think, well, what else is there <laughs> after you see somebody like that? And yeah, and 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 uh, Eddie was almost like a painter in the way that he uh, he came up with his stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, just, just, just doing things that nobody had thought of before. Yeah, and and, and but then but then also around that time too, when uh, um, at Richie Blackmore was as out, and I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't crazy about Deep Purple. Man, when you hear his when you hear his 
guitar playing and what he did just just in his solos there was this massive rock influence but there's also this huge celtic background there's also this this classical playing that that uh that just appears out of nowhere and then disappears and then goes back into rock so there's richie blackmore and then there was there was um there was and and still what one of my what I heard Rory Gallagher way, way, way back when and didn't really... <sighs> Rory Gallagher was doing a lot of stuff on a... He, he'd do a lot of acoustic work and dobro and played some mandolin. But when he picked up that Strat and put it through the Marshall, there was just no better player. In the, now, again, I didn't, I didn't gravitate towards that back then when I heard that. I knew how good he was. However, I had to you know, walk, walk, walk way, way, way down the road before I realized how magnificent Roy Gallagher is. And mm -hmm. I still, and I, and I think in my later years, Roy Gallagher kind of took over, you know, a lot of those top slots right. as, uh, cause just, he was doing stuff. He was doing stuff in the seventies that, mm -hmm. that became, uh, you know, guitar God stature in the late eighties, you know, that's, I mean, he was doing all that stuff. Yeah. It's amazing how much came from him that, He's one of those guitar players that, well, unless you're from Ireland, or and unless you're really a guitarist who's really know who really, you really know your stuff, you've probably never heard of him because <laughs> he just now. I mean, most I think uh, you you'd be surprised. I mean, that yeah. he, he's so well known over here, yeah, but but not among the the Eddie Van Halen, you know, right, you know, shredding community. I mean, but. But I mean, he seems like he's a guitarist. Guitarist, exactly. No, hundred percent. And, and I, I hear yes. that almost every guitar player that I admire knows who he is. Yes, and Brian May. Yeah, just, they all just just gush over him for good reason. And the, the thing I, and me listening to him and, and exploring his stuff, it just amazes me how much is there. Like we, it was fairly recently. We we're on the road one time, and I was relieving my boredom by reading, you know, different stuff on my phone, and found some article about the origin of the riff. Uh, that starts two minutes to midnight. Iron Maiden has this uh, guitar riff in the beginning. And uh, somebody found out <laughs> that's a riff that's been used many times in metal. And the, we found this list of all the different times it's been used. And it's not, no, not exactly the same every time, but very, very similar. I mean, and somebody traced it all the way back to Rory Gallagher, uh, Moonchild, Moonchild uh, which is a song I hadn't heard before. And you listen to the beginning of that song and then listen to Iron Maiden's. It's like not identical, but it's pretty dang similar. <laughs> it's really cool though. It's, it's, it's so cool. They're, they're, they're all really good. I mean, yeah. Saxon has, Saxon has it. Yeah. And, yeah. And theirs is good too, but, uh, but you, yeah, you listen to that and you can say, uh huh. You can hear exactly what the metal guys heard in that. Like, you know, uh, and this was a blues guitar player, but what I love, one of the things I love about Rory is that he, yeah, he's he's a blues guy, but his songs and the way he played guitar are he he he's not st stuck in that genre. I mean, a lot of the songs. One of the things I think is so cool about him is that he he played around with a lot of really interesting chord progressions and and um, feels and stuff like that. But somehow it still sounded like the blues. And I I don't know. <laughs> I haven't heard anybody else who, who's really managed to pull that off. Yeah. Well, he's and. Now another one of my favorite guitar players, and and this guy has been has been my favorite for many years. Um, 
actually since since I first heard Iron Maiden was is Adrian Smith, and uh, he's also a huge Roy Gallagher fan, and I've heard Roy Gallagher licks done in in his in in which yeah. is really great to hear in Iron Maiden. But uh, when he's he wrote Two Minutes to Midnight, right? Yeah, 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 and. Uh, and and also some on some of the some of the documentaries you'll see Adrian warming up backstage and he'll be playing just these blues and it I mean it sounds like BB King, it sounds like it sounds it it's just I, I buddy guy I said what, what where's that coming from this is the guy that but then you but because what gets lost in Iron Maiden is the operatic vocals and the just the crazy the the gallop into the you know into the six you know just these these time changes and these these you know, you know, incredibly fast. And then these, you know, big, you know, or orchestral slow parts. And they're just, uh, just, just all over the map. But as, as I guess, as the smoke cleared, as I got older and listened to more, listened to more guitar players and um, Adrian Smith, if you listen to his solo, if you could just take his solos out of each song, there's no blurry shredding, uh, aggressive playing. It, it's it's fast, and it sometimes seems like it's all over the place. But it, every single bit of it's melodic. He doesn't do anything that's that's noise or mm-hmm. it's just everything he does is so beautifully orchestrated. And it's just and Dave Murray is an incredible guitar player as well. Um, he is. And and as fast as anybody, as fast as I've heard him play, as fast as anybody, uh, and as mm. you know, and again melodic too. But Adrian's tone and Adrian's his his um, approach to playing a guitar solo is, and I know I, I ne- absolutely never ever ever get to to the level that Adrian Smith plays at. However, that's that's what I like. That's how I would like to be able to play is because yeah, it, it it's a solo that's actually crafted to, 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 to be in the song versus something that's just kind of like, I like to do, I like to just throw it, like just take a big handful of just all different color paint, just throw it at the song. That's my solo. <laughs> and his, uh, you know, so, and, and again, that, 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 you know, I can see a lot of the Mark Knopfler style uh, and, and Gary Moore did that too at, at, at a, you know, at a, a different speed, I would guess in a different, uh, a, a different, he came at it from a different angle, but Gary Moore's solos, were incredibly melodic. There was a lot of, you know, back when he tried to do the metal thing or the prog rock records and the uh, Victims of the Future and the uh, Corridors of Power, that kind of stuff. He did a, a lot of the stuff where he was trying to do the, to, to, try, 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 I guess, try, trying to, 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 you know, walk alongside those metal bands of the 80s that seemed to be taking a lot of the, 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 the limelight. But, uh, but still, he, he, Kept his he kept his blues roots and his Celtic roots and his, uh, uh, you know his his playing, his playing. He, he's one of those guys that you know if you can get past a lot of the lyrics, the the his music really really grew, um, you know tremendously throughout his career, and mm-hmm. again died way too early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, both of us sing too. <laughs> what since when this is a trickier one too because i i don't people can tell me or you who we sound like but i don't know how often i've at least in singing the stuff that we do that i'm thinking yeah i'm singing like this now i'm singing like this guy now you know yeah but i, I mean i i can definitely trace back to who 
who influenced me, or at least to help me realize what I can do. Um, yeah. Uh, and well, there, who, huh? who, would, who would you say? So just well, initially. Nat, yeah, well, naturally, all the Beatles, <laughs> even Ringo, have, have, have influenced uh, me. It's funny that I mean, Talking Heads being probably the most influential band for me as far as being in music. I, <laughs> I can't. I wish I could sing. David Byrne has a really in, impressive range, um, but I can't hit a lot of the high notes that he, that he hits. I mean, when I'm doing Psycho Killer, I'm kind of faking it because um, I can't do that. But um, David Bowie definitely had a huge impact on me. Learning how to sing a lot of his stuff opened up stuff I didn't know was there in my voice. And also uh, Neil Finn in Crowded House. That was kind of, that was kind of a, when, I, when I first started, it was after the change broke up, I remember, and I was just driving, driving around a lot between my home, my apartment and my job that I had at the time and listening to Temple, Temple of Lowman, my favorite Crowded House album. Uh, listening to that a lot and singing along with it. And that's when I realized uh, there was a whole, whole world of my singing voice that I hadn't, my range that I hadn't discovered until I started learning how to sing that stuff. And it was like, oh, this is what I can do. <laughs> and I, I think, I don't know if it was the same for you, but sometimes when you're learning how to sing, you really don't know what you can do until you go there. Yeah. You, there's this sort of experimental period you go through when you're younger and you're like, oh, this feels good. Like, yeah. Oh, wow. I, can, you know, I didn't know I could do that. Yeah, well, you're. Um, I, I I must say I'm a I'm a little jealous because I I didn't. Well, um, you know, yes, if I wanted to come out the gate as a teenager, I wanted to sing like Bruce Dickinson, not because, uh, not because that's how I wanted to sound. That was just the singer. That was the that was the singer that that I saw myself being jumping up on top of the the rafters and running around the stage and being that's, that's what I thought. I didn't think much of the singing ability, the vocal range, uh, uh, stamina. I didn't think, you know, one of the things that I didn't know getting into a rock and roll band, you got to be able to sing at the end of the night as well as the beginning of the <laughs> night. And if you're doing sets, which we're doing three and four sets a night and, uh, the, the last set better be as good as the first set. And, you know, somebody comes in at the end of the night and, sees a band with their feet up and, you know, just mailing it in, you're, 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 you're done. You know, that guy might be booking the next festival or the next tour or the next, yeah. Um, you know? So, so anyway, I didn't think of any of that. I just wanted to be able to sing. Um, uh, you know, of course now in retrospect, you know, yes, it would have been, you know, to have a voice like Freddie Mercury or to be able to sing like, um, you know, and, and any of these, any of these, you know, just, just, you know, people like a Tom Jones, like a, you know, Elvis, Elvis was always in the back of my mind because I always like, I still like the big reverb on the vocals. I like the slap back echo. I like that old rockabilly, but done with the, the, seventies Vegas style pump. And, you know, you, if you've seen any of my shirts, you know, Liberace and Elvis would both go, Hey man, you know, tone it down. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's that's the that's the kind of stuff that I like, and I'd love to be able to sing like that. However, I'm graced with the um, you know a, gr a coffee grinder <laughs> yeah, voice and a uh, but but uh, but I'll tell you after after singing, you know like you know we'll do Johnny Cash and we'll do uh, Shane McGowan and, uh, and 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 don't don't kid yourself. Yes, Shane McGowan has probably. Uh, He's probably, uh, he's probably ingested more pills and, you know, alcohol and, you know, he's, 
you know, seen more needles in a hospital. I mean, this guy is, don't underestimate that guy's voice. I mean, he's got a range and he has, yeah, he might not be able to pronounce the words, but man, I just, I still love to listen to, you know, even a live Shane McGowan where, you know, just, it's, you know, it sounds like somebody dropped, you know, you know, pushed the needle across the record. That guy can sing. Yeah. And he's got, you know, he's got a great voice and he's, you know, such a poet and blah, blah, blah. So, so I'm 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 saying all these names because this is the stuff that I like to kind of throw into that. Well, and there is a huge, uh, let me say, mishmash of uh, of influences in your voice, which I think is really interesting. Um, but you your your singing voice to me it, it reflects, um, you know, every little bit of because you have really diverse tastes, and there's a little bit of everything in there. Um, yeah, yeah, but we push that in each. I mean, we you know we, we push each other in that when we do when we do uh, like you know when we did uh, we did a uh, second worst girlfriend at the last festival. Yeah, and it was just it was a uh, it was a uh, we're really trying to just punish the instruments and trying to just really dig dig, dig deep on that. So that was kind of like a, a Shane McGowan and an Elvis kind of you know you know thing on that, but. This is an original song of ours, by the oh, way. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah so, but I was yeah, yeah. Sorry, well, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen Chad in a few days, so we're 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 yeah. we're we're uh, um, but yeah, but but now I'll also say too is and, and I have to get the because I know I'll forget. Well, recently, uh, Chad and I both ditched our amplifiers, and uh, if you're if you're not a player, you the the big boxes that are at the back of the stage you usually say Marshall on them or Ampeg or something, and they they uh, they weigh about like mm-hmm. they weigh about as much about fifteen dead bodies trying to <laughs> <laughs> carry upstairs and downstairs. Here's the title. That's what. And, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. You know, that's what that's what all the sound is coming out, and that's when people are like, turn it down. It's too loud. Well, let me just explain something real quick. So there's amplifiers at the back of the stage. And if you're over three feet tall, the sound is going to go right at the back of your legs, right? People go, we'll get a stand and tilt them up towards you. No, it doesn't work either because then that goes straight into the microphone that you're singing into. So it's just, and, 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 and remember, these clubs give you about as much room as a skateboard to set you all your gear up on and, you know, jump around and, yeah, blow the roof off. Go ahead. So anyway, so recently, Chad and I ditched our amplifiers. And we've gone direct, which means all of our uh, all of our sound now is coming out our monitors, which is directly in front of our faces on the stage. So our vocals and our instruments now are coming back at us through the thing. So now there's no massive sound uh, competing with us in the back, right? There's just just the drums. So so that's what happened at recently, and what's the 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 payoff has been. And I know it's it's true for you as well, but our voices now are reinvigorated, and the stamina and the there are our energy levels are just absolutely through the roof because we're not competing with this massive amount of sound coming mm-hmm. from the back. So, uh, um, so what's also happened is recently I'm gonna gonna absolutely shoot myself in the foot right here, but is I've noticed our voices are better mm-hmm. now. Because when you can hear yourself singing and you can actually match your notes and you can, you know, hear just everything, the whole, there's been this massive cloud lifted and yeah, and it's just, 
our stage is just so so much easier to play on. There. Right. I think this goes back to too, like when I was in the change, we we had horrible sound. <laughs> we always we didn't know what what good sound was. I mean, back then we had the, we, occasionally we'd have a good sound guy. Like whenever we played at uh, Zelda's, which was the downstairs stage at Fitzgerald's in Houston back then, there was a really good sound guy there named Trip. A great guy. Um, uh, he was a really, really great sound guy. But most of the time, <laughs> this is still true today. Most of the time you're going out and you're not running your own sound. You don't know what you're getting. And uh, when you can't hear yourself sing, it affects the way you sing. At least, at least I know for me. Patrick's much better at, at still somehow maintaining his tone, his vocal tone, even when he can't hear you know, anything. And uh, I, I sometimes listen to myself and sh- recordings so we record a lot of our show almost every one of our shows listening back to my voice in a situation where i know i can't hear myself it's like it sounds like i'm deaf i might be getting the note but the tone and quality of my voice is not me it's like it's very bizarre and almost the entire time i was in the change that's kind of how it was and so then after that when i started doing solo acoustic shows that's when i suddenly had the the space you know and the and the 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 uh, peace of mind <laughs> to actually discover what I was capable of, but it is dependent on, you know, having good sound. But yeah, it does. Make, it makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And, 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 and people don't, when, 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 when somebody, when, when you start a band, there's, there's, there's nobody there to tell you that all the amplifiers don't need to be turned up. And there is such thing, thing as dynamic, meaning you don't have to all play at the same time as loud as each other. There's, you know, there's a there's volume knobs on it for a reason, which I didn't know. I thought you just had to be the loudest, and I achieved that for many years. So, uh, but yeah, that's it. So, so vocal styles have have uh, have always been, you know, in a perfect world, you know, it, it would be great to sound like your, you know, your musical heroes or the, you know who you grew up listening to, and you know, and now it's just now it's now it's the case where. You know, in a slow song, you'd like to pretty it up a little bit and, uh, you know, not, not shriek or scream as loud, but, or as rough. But the, 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 what I'm finding now is I really like to, 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 to take as the show, um, as the set list changes, you'd like to be able to match that with your, with the, you know, with, with whatever timber you're singing with or inflection you're using in that moment. And, it's a, it's, 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 it's still exciting to me. I still am nervous as hell before every show. And, uh, anybody that, anybody that sees me, f- you know, before a show is just, is, you know, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not the same person. I just, I dread the first note. And then once we get the first note, you know, it seems to, to dissipate, you know, yeah. you know, it's just, uh, but yeah. It's, and, and I guess, you know, the, the the I hope it never goes away. I still like because because that the 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 fear that dread that first moment, the anticipation of it that still drives me and it's still you know yeah you know yeah it still makes me want to do it. I but, think that's cool. We talked about that recently. I think it's cool that you still get nervous like that even after as long as we've been doing this. You know yeah. Like what what do we have to worry? <laughs> we've we've had to had to navigate our way through almost every possible scenario you can think of. Yeah. Good and bad. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's still, and I, and I, I don't get nervous the same way. I probably don't get as nervous as you because I'm not the person who has to talk to the audience. Yeah. You know, you, there's a huge burden on you with that, but you always handle amazingly, I think. 
Um, but yeah. I do remember, I, I mentioned this story earlier when one of the, the very first time I performed with a band, with, a, with my band Elemental Penguin in high school, that in school dance, I was so nervous before going on. I was literally hyperventilating. And uh, one of our backup singers, Camille Zamora, by the way, who is a, a pro opera singer now, came up and said, you're going to be okay. Just breathe. You'll be fine. So she told me, it's like, it's good that you're nervous. You know, all the best performers are nervous before they go on stage. It means, it means you're, you're, you're going to do good. I was like, okay. <laughs> and sure enough, as soon as I went out there and got a mic, it's, it's similar to what you're just saying. Once I was on the mic, my tension just kind of evaporated. Yeah. Once I was where I needed to be, which was on the stage. Yeah. It was, uh, it's kind of amazing how that works. And now it's like, I don't, I, I don't get that nervous anymore, but there is this sort of, it's my, my, my nervousness is this more pervasive layer of thing that kind of just coats everything. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of have to kind of, kind of shake it off, you know, as I'm going along throughout the show. And it's always, it's always kind of fun realizing those moments when you're, you're setting yourself free from that. That's when the, that's when the show gets really good. I think yeah. for everybody on stage, when we're, we really manage to break out of that over that hurdle and it's, yeah, it's still there <laughs> even after doing this. For 15 plus years. Um, that's just the way it's supposed to be, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say earlier, I don't know if there's any, uh, uh, how much there is to say about, about this, but one of, one, of, one of the influences I hear in you, which I think is really interesting, in your singing voice is uh, uh, Neil Diamond. Um, it was actually my friend Alejandra who pointed that out when she came to see us at, uh, at the Beverly early on. She said, oh, you sound like Neil Diamond. And I was like, and she's right. <laughs> wow. And, and, uh, I'm just, I'm just curious. It's, it's one, it's one quality of your voice. I think that's, that's pretty much always there and, and mostly probably not in stuff like drunken sailor and things like that, but, but the more, the songs where you're actually more singing, uh, we've covered Neil Domingo. Yeah. Obviously, people who've seen us a lot know that we do sweet Caroline sometimes. And we used to do. Uh, Rose. Rosie. And what was the other one? I know. Songs on Song, Song Blue. Yeah. yeah. What was the other one? I thought there was one other we did. Anyway. Well, I, I again a huge Neil Diamond fan. Yeah, you know, you know the the the, the old stuff. Uh, but I, I yeah, that would that would surprise me because uh, it is it is. A, I think the reason why it's so interesting is that knowing how into metal and you know Bruce Dickinson and whoever yeah. your, your biggest influences were. Well, vocally, yeah, Bruce Dickinson again, probably the last thing people would expect. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, Bruce Dickinson again. I I, I think, uh, um, like Steve Harris said, you know, for somebody to sing at that level for that long with that intensity, you know, like Bruce is definitely one of those overachievers in, in he's everything. An author. Yeah. He's just everything he does, you know, <laughs> he's Olympian like, fencer and he's yeah. author. And he's really uh, like a real life, uh, uh Buckaroo Banzai without the surgeon part. Anyway. Yeah. But he's just give him a minute. You yeah, know? No, I mean, exactly. you know, a commercial, you know, pilot and just every single thing. And he just, he wants to do it. He just does it. Mm -hmm. And to him, I say, you know, yeah, piss off Bruce, you know, making us all look bad, <laughs> but he's, he's, I think he's incredible. I don't want to sing like that. Mm -hmm. You would, I like to be able to, 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 to do the, to do the two minutes to midnight scream or excuse me, the aces high scream or the hallowed be thy name or the, you know, at number of the beast. Yes, I would like to do that. I would just want to do that just to get the waiter's attention. I don't want to be able to do that on stage, but yeah, <laughs> scream for me. Um, he, he, uh, you know, yes, I, but I, I don't want to sing like that. I, I, I liked Paul Diano better just because it was, it was, it was more that that's what sounded like metal to me. Not, oh, 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 oh. I, you know, the, the, 
that stuff. But again, uh, I, I, I want, I want Bruce's stage presence to be able to, to work that audience into absolutely mm-hmm. exhaustion. He doesn't give them a second off. You know, same thing with Dave Lee Roth, the same thing with Freddie Mercury, the same thing with, you know, do you want to sound like that? Yeah, it'd be nice to, you know, but the, 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 to be able to command an audience like that, that's the, that's, that's the, the, the tip top right there. There's just, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. And you know, the, the, you know, the, the, so, so some of the singers that I listen to, uh, and we were talking about Ron Kavana, Ron Kavna, you know, the other day, and just that guy's voice. I mean, he's just as deep and as dark as, you know, anybody, but incredible songwriter. He wrote Young Ned of the Hill, and uh, which we, you know, it's a pretty much a staple in our, in our, yeah. in our set. But the way he does, you know, the Pogues, we did the Pogues version of it. The way Ron wrote it was just completely different. It's yeah. just completely pure Irish. Yeah. And, and, well, not, yeah. and beautiful, beautiful, beautiful singing voice. Just, I, yeah, I don't think I've actually heard his version. I need to, I need to yeah, we that need to, if, 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 if at all possible, even for this, just put this on. The, yeah. Need, put it in the link. This notes, is yeah. one. This is absolutely just the acoustic. I'll send it to you. Okay. It's, uh, it's absolutely. I was going to say too, I know that we, so we learned it off of the Pogues version, but you mentioned recently, you went back and listened to it again. It's like, we're so far. Yeah. Even from the Pogues version, we're so far from it now yeah. with what we do. But but anyway, yeah, I want to. I'd like to hear the Ron's version of it. For sure. Yeah, with that, that that was the, that that was a song that yeah yeah that was requested many times um, at the beginning, believe it or not, and then kind of stumbled Still onto it. Yeah. yeah, but then but then but then the, that's why we changed it so much was because it was if you're going to put it in the set, you have to kind of match it to mm-hmm. to 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 what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, and, when, and our stuff. I mean, I, all of arrangements, all of our arrangements have gotten a lot meatier. I want to say over the years, but I think because we, we're as a unit. I mean, Mike and Patrick and I have been been playing together for fifteen years, no, ten years now. That's just the three of us, Patrick and I, for fifteen years. It, it, the thing I like now is that it, it it doesn't take us very long to to find when we learn a new yes. song. Like you know, we'll play around with different fields and stuff, but you know, Patrick can play a riff, and Mike can like. Yeah, <laughs> we almost yeah. we almost know immediately what we what we're gonna play, and sometimes Patrick will have a different idea. Like, no, I was thinking more something more like that. But the language is there, and there's very often very little direction we have to give each other. I was just thinking, you know, this fit, early on it was true that like you when I was first learning how to play bass in the van, there were many tips that you gave me, like because I just didn't know, like what we call the the root fifth toggle. Now, yes, I wouldn't <laughs> no idea what that was. Yeah, like um, here let's. Because a lot of these songs call for that kind of approach. It's a very country, very very common uh, um, method of bass playing in country music, and it's in, in a lot of these Pogue songs too. A lot of a lot of the Irish rock that we were learning stuff off of back in those days. So Patrick taught me how to do that because sometimes I'd just be fumbling. Like I was, like I was saying, there's a huge difference between playing bass at home and playing with an actual band. You've got to you've got to think it, look at the, everything from all angles and hear everything from all angles. You can't just play whatever you want to play. It's got to make sense with everything that's going on and it's got to feel right. And you want to work with the song and not against it and all these types of things. And of course, one of my big, biggest problems early on, which I already mentioned was, was rushing the note, which I was so embarrassed about at the time. And I, I it was frustrating because I couldn't hear what, um, what I was doing. And, uh, you really have to train yourself. And I learned, Later, and this helped me understand why it's not that big of a deal that 
even the best players uh, sometimes have to wrestle with this. Carol Kay was one of my biggest heroes who was a legendary session player in the 60s. And she's still around. She still gives lessons. Uh, she played on almost every single Beach Boys track, almost every big hit that you, that you know from the 60s and 70s. Um, really good chance that, that Carol plays bass on it. But anyway, she, she, has, she has this really great story where she talks about early on because she, she was one of those players who started off as a, as a guitar player. And she got lumbered into playing bass because the bass player didn't show up to the session one day. So she just picked it up and played it. And that's how she got, got into that. But early on, one of the drummers she was playing with said, you're doing pretty good there, but you're, you're rushing the note. Rushing the notes. You got you to gotta work on that. She's like, what? No, I'm not. <laughs> she didn't believe him. So she went home and, and set a metronome and just played to the metronome. And she suddenly realized like, oh, <laughs> then she could hear it. And uh, once you get it, it just, she said she just had to practice that for a few times and then she got it. And then it was, you know, it was natural. Just, I relate to the, to the rushing part because I, again, what we're playing nine times out of 10 is faster. Yeah. And so it didn't really, it, it, you know, you kind of that, that, that punk school of thought where it doesn't matter if you're a little off. Well, it kind of did when we were, and then when you're singing, that's when it, that's when it would rush, but that's not out of. That's not out of complacency or out of mm-hmm. neglect. That's out of you're you're doing yeah. you're, you're juggling and you're riding a unicycle and you're right. singing at the same. So so you you, you got to keep all this stuff in time. But as 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 a guitar player and singer, watching those you know feeling that stuff rush past you or, mm-hmm. or try to get ahead of you, which is 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 an absolute just drive you nuts. Yeah, you know when you're trying to you know this thing has got to stay together and and. So, so you know, as a as a as a group, you, you, you know, you just never want that to happen, especially you know. So, so you gotta you gotta kind of when you see it happening, you gotta say it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's it's a uh, and every musician I think deals with tempos and stuff issues yes. at some point or another, and even as just as a, a solo guitar player, uh, I would be it's just that just out of nervousness and not even realizing it, I'd be rushing through my songs. Like I'd get to a part and I'd speed up and slow down. My friends would point it out to me, like, you know, you, you're playing the song too fast here. Like, no, I'm not. Because <laughs> I couldn't hear it. You know, it sounded fine yeah. to me as I was doing it. So I was really, really uh, not open to that type of criticism for a while. And so it was a difficult thing for me to learn because I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. If I can't hear it, it can't possibly be true. Yeah. But it was. Um, so yeah, it, it, and it's funny listening. I go back occasionally in doing research for some of these shows and trying to think of things to talk about, listening to some of the really early recordings that we did, what, the, what I could refer to as the Bev tapes, you know, the really early recordings of uh, the original lineup of Blackguards. Ow, I can't, he, I can't listen to what I'm playing there. It's like, like, it's like calm down. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, and then to compare that to, let's just like a recording from last week or something, it's like night and day. Yeah, it's 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 so much easier for me now um, to stay in the pocket, and to me, that's the, people have different ways of describing that term in the pocket. To me, it literally feels like you're playing pool and you're getting the getting the ball in the pocket. You know, this is really comfortable, kind of like the note is or the beat is containing the note, like it's, it just goes right in there, and that that's usually how I'm thinking of it when I'm trying to stay centered. You know, because not like, not like I don't ever rush, you know, it still happens sometimes. I'll catch myself usually at the end of a phrase. Yeah. You know, it's, it, like, it, it's, ah, yeah, it's so down. easy. It's so yeah. easy to do. And um, I, 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 I play with the metronome every single day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still do, you know, I actually, there's something that I picked up recently 
you know, in the last couple of years, but I play, you know, every single day with a metronome. And it's just, it's, it's the reason why I do it is because I like to, I like to sing out of time, but play in time. Right. And that's the, that's where I'm, that's where I'm, that's why, that's why I'm playing with metronome. And I know this has gone way off the, it's the influence uh, topic, but this, to yeah, this about, is yeah. what the thing is. But, you know, so. Speaking of which too, that, that's something that Phil, Phil Linet was really, really good at. Uh, singing off, off, off the time and yes. somehow making a groove. Yes. It was almost like magic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's, I, and that, that, that's who I was copying when I was for early, early on singing out of, out of time. That's who exactly who I was. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. I know that's rubbed off on me too. Cause I, I, I'll sometimes get a little too ambitious about going off time, but it can be fun to do that sometimes. It just, <laughs> just wait, like you just wait, like a, like a measure or half a measure. Uh, like where the vocal usually starts, wait a little bit and see how you can make it make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's what the, I think frequently that's what Phil Linet was doing. He was just being really, really playful with where the words were going to fall. Yep. And it always, it just sounded beautiful every time. It's amazing. I can't think of any other singer off the top of my head who, who did that sort of thing. Uh, Cause you got to be careful with that. Cause I, well, I, def, I definitely have messed it up many times. Freddie did. Freddie Mercury did, did that. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah. He did that. I mean, you know, you listen to the, listen to the, the live at Wembley uh, record and that's, that's, uh, it's just, just, you know, coming from their studio versions to the live versions, just so beautifully done. Yeah. And again, because they're not working with all those vocals that they do on the, on the record. Right. So he, he, his, uh, his adaptation of, their music live was just beautifully done because he had to, he had to take your mind off the fact that you're not going to hear the 15 tracks yeah. in the back, you know? Well, and so, also some of the, he, he was such an aggressive singer too, that he, um, some people have said this, that I, th I think he, he had some issues probably either I don't know if it was the way he was singing or his technique with singing was a little, he was a little too, I think he was working too hard. Sometimes his voice would go out on tours occasionally. So he couldn't always hit, the high notes, you know, and the, every, every touring singer, I think has to adjust what they're doing, but you listen to, um, for example, any, any, almost any live version of under pressure, there's that really high note uh -huh. that he hits in the middle, which sounds almost inhuman. I don't think there's, I don't think he ever sang that live, you know, yeah. but he still, what he came up with still hit you, you know, yeah. even though it's a completely different note, like yeah. the whole octave lower or whatever it was, it's like, it was still amazing. That was one of his greatest skills is that he could still, it didn't sound like he was compromising somehow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I know David Bowie, as he got older, he, he lost some of his higher range. So he started uh, changing the keys of stuff a lot. Uh, but it still sounds great. You know? Yeah. And both of these guys smoked all the way to the end too. <laughs> God, so yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it, you, you cannot, you cannot expect the same results you know, by torturing yourself like that. It's just, I smoked for years and, and I swear my voice was better when I smoked. Nah. Um, no, no. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it felt like it was, I had a better right. range. Right. Now, uh, uh, my voice has definitely given out at some wonderful, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful times. Not very much but, recently though. But yeah. But again, you have to, you know, if, if you're serious about it, you know, you, you, yeah. you, you have to make, you have to make, uh, changes. Well, there's two things I think that happen. And we, we both discovered that the more exercise that we get, especially any kind of, because I work out with weights occasionally and I also uh, try to get some cardio stuff, that makes all the difference in the world. 
there'll be one weekend I'm having a really hard time loosening up. And then and I realize I haven't exercised in a while. And so then I'll go back to walking and, and doing my weights and whatever else. And then suddenly <laughs> it, it's like everything's back, you know, and I, I don't know what it is. Some physical therapist can probably explain it better than I could, but uh, it's absolutely essential. But that, thinking about talking about, you know, these Bowie and singers like Bowie and uh, Freddie Mercury smoking their whole lives. Bruce Dickinson, I don't think he never picked up a cigarette his whole life. He's now 60, still has his range. Yeah. The man takes really good care of himself. And that, 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 I, all the guys in Iron Maiden, I, I look up to tremendously because of that. They all take care of themselves. They're all in great shape. Um, because they realize they have to, they, they've got a, uh, reputation their show requires a certain degree of energy and commitment and they can't slack off you just can't and uh yeah anyway that 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 those guys are my heroes for many reasons but that's one of the big ones um and if you ever if you if you haven't seen it if, if you don't know much about iron maiden uh definitely should check out the documentary on flight 666 watching the movie you get to know these guys as, as just as just as people and you get to see what great performers are and how, how much, I mean, how committed they are to what they're doing and just what genuine people they are. Um, you know, there's no, there's no, um, pretentiousness. There's no fake, whatever, you know, it's just all very real. They're, they're, they're in the same spot as they were when they started, meaning they, they, yes, they're, they're, they're known worldwide and they have sold more records than most bands will ever dream of, mm-hmm. but they never changed their, they never changed their personalities and they're as genuine to, to, I, I, I was lucky enough to go back. I think, did we talk about this? Um, I was lucky enough to get backstage to an Iron Maiden show yeah, here in Houston. You mentioned briefly. Yeah. You have to at meet the summit. Uh, and uh, yeah, only, um, I only got to talk to uh, Steve Harris and um, Dave Murray. And, uh, it, but it was, it was uh, just, 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 just wonderful to, to shake, to shake the hand, say hello. And it's it's unnerving to see how small they are. <laughs> it was unnerving because <laughs> it was a, uh, I nearly wanted to pick him up and put him on my knee and say, "What?" <laughs> but uh, uh, I had no idea. I, I knew that they were that they were that they were small, but um, it was a wrong day to wear my high heels. <laughs> uh, but no, just uh, but just tremendous. And I didn't I didn't say anything. I just shook the hands. Nice to meet you. Just I, I you know so much you want to say and thank them for, but um, yeah. So lucky enough to, to have, uh, to have just been in the same room as those guys. It's yeah. Just, no kidding. You know. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, still to this day, like you said, they haven't changed those. The, the, the only thing that's changed is they're just absolutely worldwide and they've their record sales and they're saying, you know, they can't, they can't go to South America. Uh, they can't, you know, they're, they're, just it's it's like Beatlemania in South America, every single time they 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 you know, it's just a, it's a and and, and you know this the same in Asia, the same in you know the states. I mean they're just absolutely they're they're everybody's hero. You know mm-hmm. as far as you know musicians, you know go and uh, yeah, whatnot. There's a, a you know and it's it, it's just great that that was one of my earliest finds. That was one of my f- f- earliest bands that I just just you know fell in love with and to this day I can still listen to it and just not even not not tire of it yeah so I think that's brought us full circle yeah I know there's and there's a zillion that we've forgotten but you know that we've failed to mention 
but it'll it'll come up and it'll come up. And yeah, and, this this is a conversation that has no end. Yeah. Um, of course, we still haven't gotten Mike on the show. Still haven't gotten Wes on the show, but we will get it together. Yes, and I, and as always, thank you for listening. We cannot thank you enough for listening. And yes, keep an eye on the site. There's a bunch of new show dates that are coming up, which actually we need to talk about as soon as we stop recording. <laughs> ding ding! All right, see ya.